0: Zero Pucks Given is brought to you by Red River Technology and Star Market, the official supermarket of the Boston Bruins. Red River is a technology transformation company, reimagining the possibilities of technology, enabling organizations to transform beyond the expected. From the cloud and big data to mobility and cybersecurity, Red River can meet your business objectives. With over 20 years' experience, Red River has built a tremendous reputation serving commercial, civilian, defense, intelligence, healthcare, and sled markets by sticking to their company credo. Technology decisions aren't black and white think red. Visit RedRiver.com to learn more. This is Zero Pucks Given, the podcast about the Boston Bruins. Here's Dale Arnold. It is the inaugural edition of Zero Pucks Given, our hockey podcast here on WEEI. The first one for this season, that is. It's brought to you by Red River Technology and Star Markets. My name's Dale Arnold. Joining me right now is uh, the guy who covers hockey for WEI.com and also the co-author, a pretty nifty book that just came out in the last couple of days. Uh, it is called uh, If These Walls Could Talk, Boston Bruins, published by Triumph Books, avail- available in bookstores everywhere right now. If i got all the plugs out of the way. Matt Kalman joins us. Hey, Matt, how are you?
1: doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay, thanks. I'm kind of curious to see how this book signing tour goes that we're undertaking here soon and see if anybody shows up to see us.
1: Oh, I'm sure there will be plenty of people there. Uh, it's always just social media that people are pretty excited about it way back uh, in the summer when we first started tweeting about it. People were pre-ordering it, so I think uh, you'll be pretty uh, surprised if you're not expecting much. Well, I think you'll be pretty uh, impressed with the, uh, with the turnout of these things.
0: Well, it'll give us an opportunity here to kind of kick things off with some hockey talk on, on the first podcast for this season. And as we sit here, you know, ballpark 10 games into the season, pretty much everybody's in that same general ballpark. Uh, I'm curious what you, and, and I'm guessing I think you I know the answer, what you consider to be the Bruins' biggest issue right now.
1: Obviously the scoring. Um, I've never, it's been a while since I've seen a team struggle like this uh, to score goals, and it's its kind of alarming because it's the, um, the plan of Don Sweeney to uh, kind of rely on the kids to come back and just pick up where they left off and maybe some of the other kids to kind of come in and take jobs. None of it panned out as far as the forwards are concerned in the scoring, and it seems like uh, a lot of teams are running into this where they're putting all their top forwards on one line and, and relying on that. But you have to wonder, you know, how far you can really go with that uh, in the regular season, never mind the playoffs.
0: Andy Brickley said on our pregame show the other night, he said, I'm, I'm really sick and tired of talking about the sophomore slump. Yeah. Uh, because that's, you know, the the excuse generally being offered out there. I mean, at some point here, guys like Jake DeBrusk and Danton Heinen and others have got to just do something.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's kind of a weird world we live in because, you know, Back when, say, a Milan Lucic was a kid their age struggling, he would go out and just play a game where he would just hit people, and that would get him into the flow of things, and he would grind it out and uh, get to the net. But I don't think uh, there's not too many players that can play that way anymore, and it's more. This is so much about creating offense and 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 making plays, and uh, it's obviously harder to break out of slumps that way. And you know, maybe if someone like though Maybe he could go out there and just try to play a, a strong defense, the strongest defensive game he can and try to turn that into offense and not press so much. But I think, I think all these kids are pressing right now. I think it also doesn't help that there's not that much competition because, uh, you know, Ryan Denado gets sent down, but uh, no one really comes up to uh, to take his place. You know, Bacchus came back in the lineup from being injured, and there's not anyone at uh, Providence really banging down the door right now.
0: And let's be honest, uh Ryan Donato isn't the only guy who could probably benefit from a stint sure. in Providence. Uh but unfortunately, whether it's Bjork or Heinen or, or or whoever, Debrusque, you can't afford to send everybody down.
1: Right, exactly. And I think uh, you know, people who like to use the Providence Bruins kinda of like the backup quarterback syndrome to say, Oh, this guy must be better, this guy that must be better but uh, you know, Peter Solaric has had uh hasn't been great and he had a few injuries here or there, you know, um J- JFK went overseas a little bit. He was away from the team, hasn't been exactly tearing it up the way you'd like to see him in the American League do that. Um, there's just not that many options right now. I mean, that's probably why Bjork started the year with this team after he didn't uh, play in the preseason. All of a sudden, this this second-year player with 30 games under his belt was able to just make the NHL roster without really doing much in training camp, because it's it's been a lot of uh, jobs won by default here, and uh, they've obviously miscalculated on uh, when guys were ready to step in and they they're kind of paying for it now with the fact that they didn't solidify uh this forward group uh, in the off season
0: All right, let's play Bruce Cassidy for a minute. Uh you know, we're talking about well, in my mind the second best line in the NHL. <laughs> I think that group in Colorado is pretty good, yeah. but the second best line in the NHL with Marchand Bergeron Pasternak. Would you break him up?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's really tough to do obviously and he's not he doesn't seem apt to do it, but, I mean, how long do you wait before you at least just give it a little bit of a try? You know, you know, if you don't want to just do the knock, you knock to the second line thing, you, you could really get kind of crazy just to loosen everybody up and, and break up Marchand and Bergeron. I wouldn't say that it was the worst thing in the world. I mean, we saw it over the years. Um Guys, you know, they did break those up. You know, with Lucic and Krejci was a pair for so long, they would break those guys up sometimes just to give everybody a different look and just kind of have it kind of resonate throughout the whole lineup. But, you know, how long can you go with just uh, just the one-line scoring for you and how long can you wait, like Bruce Cassidy says he's doing, to, for these guys to come through? And, um, I mean, maybe the schedule kind of helps you do that. I'm not sure that Vancouver, beyond uh, their top pair, would really have anyone to shut anybody down. So maybe you're hoping... That the second, third, and fourth lines kind of break through against some weaker Ds, but uh, the schedule gets tougher from there, and you just teams when teams are able to just focus on that one line so much, it's just not uh, it's not conducive. It's just a carryover from the playoffs we saw with Tampa Bay.
0: I don't have a lot of criticisms of Bruce Cassidy and the job that he's done here, but if I had one, it might be that that he's a he, he's a bit impatient uh, on the couple of occasions where yeah. he has broken them up. I don't think he's given it enough time. I would, I would stick Anders Bjork, for lack of a better term, or Jake DeBrusque, whoever it is, with Marchand and Bergeron, and I would put David Pasternak down with David Krejci, and I would leave it alone for a week. Don't touch it. Don't be tempted a period and a half into it. Okay, I've got to put them back together again. Do it on the power play all you want. But on regular shifts, I'd, I'd do it, and I'd leave it alone for a week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you can you can go beyond that. You can just keep rotating guys with that Persia on a marshall until somebody steals it. We saw it at the one game. Uh, he did that where Nordstrom and Wagner, and I think maybe Bjork even got a little sniff of that. And you just, just you break up the monotony here. I mean, right now it's just rolling four lines. You know, and the guys go over the boards. They go through the motions. I mean, you know, the other night we saw some – flashes of of life from the those bottom two lines and so that was maybe a good sign but um there's just so much you can take uh these you know these consolation prizes or these you know participation trophies at some point you got to put some production on the board and um if if they're not going to do it then maybe you have to get really creative i mean i really like the way nordstrom's played um not the but answer long term but he's a, but he's a for third or fourth or fourth line, line guy a, right yeah but just a guy that seems he can plug in anywhere and It's not the worst thing in the world if you just start using him more as a a versatile guy that can play on all four lines, and if you have to put him out there more, put him out there more.
0: I mean, I I like David Backus personally. I I like what he brings to the table. I I like his leadership, but I don't see much of a game left. Yeah,
1: it's it's really sad to watch right now, and... um... They seem to think that he's going to turn it around, and I just don't see how that happens. When you're his age, that it's going to suddenly you're suddenly going to be able to do it. And I think he he, he definitely not only doesn't have much game left, he's kind of holding them back. And I think the worst position for him right now is being on that second power play because he's all about net front presence and tips, and you see that sometimes. But you have to be able to do more than that, and you see more and more goals on the power play scored off the rush, and there's no rush in his game, so. I don't know what uh, what the solution is here obviously they're too uh they're on the hook for a lot of money here and they have to stick with it as much as they can but I don't know exactly even if he's at his at his best at this stage of his career is that good enough to to play the role that they need him to play I don't think it is
0: Let's talk injuries for a minute um the the the, the, li- the less I hear about Charlie McAvoy yeah. the more nervous I get and uh you know the the dreaded upper body injury we all think that it's it's a concussion But based on the fact that he had a heart procedure a year ago, it at least gives you pause.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really like radio silence here, right? No one's giving any updates, and it's really weird for them at this point to not be giving an update. I think the the, the weirdest thing, like you're talking about concussions is that if it's such a severe concussion that he isn't even skating, how many weeks it's been since he played? I guess it's he couple... skated
0: today, right? Oh, he did before, skate today? Pra- before practice,
1: okay. not with the team.
0: Right. Uh, he and and Vakanainen, I believe, both skated today before practice. Okay. Or, no, I'll take it back. Not McAvoy. Let me no, let me rephrase. Yeah. It was Miller and Vakanainen oh, who see. skated before practice today. Yeah.
1: So the thing I'm wondering about is, you know, obviously when it's a, it's a really severe concussion, the guy's not usually out in public, and, and Charlie's been at every game in the press box he went out and did some community events. You don't usually see a concussed guy who's so far from coming back out and about and um so that makes me leads me to believe it's either like you're saying something about the heart issue or maybe something else, a shoulder type thing or something. But it's it's kind of weird when you can't pinpoint where it happened and they can't seem to clear up anything and it's maybe the only time I've seen in three years of Bridge Cassidy I've seen him become kind of Kurt about a question every time he's asked about Charlie McIlwain, he just kind of gives a grunts and answer of like no no update or something like that. And usually, you can't stop him from talking, so, <laughs> so when, that's what makes it even more mysterious.
0: I mean, Kevin Miller's easy. He blocks a shot with his right. hand. He's got a cast on his hand. We know exactly what we're dealing with. That's easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, these, these other ones, and Backus had it for a while after he took the shot on the chin. and. McAvoy, whatever it is now, Vakaninen we're yeah. fairly certain. You know, we saw the Borvietski yeah. hit. We that, know what happened to him, right? But these things become mysterious, and and I I think at times the Bruins try to become Patriots light with how they right. handle this stuff, and and I'm not sure they do their players much of a favor sometimes.
1: Yeah, and you wonder too, like what what this means for Don Sweeney. If this is a long term thing, do you have to go out and find some defense help? I mean, or are they expecting him to be back sometimes? And usually when it's so long term. Uh, They're a little more transparent about it, and this just keeps lingering on, and you don't know exactly where they stand. I will say
0: that uh, defense on this team has not been the issue that I would have expected when you consider that, you know, a couple of, well, two of their six defensemen are out right now. When Krug was out, you had three of the six who were out. All things considered, they've probably piecemealed this together about as well as could be expected.
1: Yeah, I mean, unlike the the forwards, I mean, the defense corps has met expectations. You know, Brandon Carlo... Has uh, for the most part done the things he's had to do. He's been, he's been better, right? Exactly. He's been much better. I think John Moore, a guy I didn't see much of when he was in New Jersey. I think he, he's a fine, you know, four, five, six defenseman. He skates like the wind and has uh, some good hockey sense. He's not making dumb plays out there. They've they've kind of like had him keep it simple, which I would like to see them take the reins off him a little bit. But he's defending well. He's he's helped out in the penalty kill when when needed. And you know, Grislyk w was fine. And then when Krug was out, he, he couldn't really complain too much about his game. He's he's made strides, and so and you know obviously Char is Char, so they've uh, they haven't had any troubles there. It's been uh, you know what you've come to expect, I guess, the last few years when two or three guys are out, they seem to have the right replacements on hand for uh, for defense at least.
0: Stephen Camphor was an unheralded uh, addition yeah. to this roster. He was brought in here as a seventh defenseman because of injuries he's had to play, and I got to admit he's been a pleasant surprise for me
1: yeah I think uh yeah he another one he keeps it simple now i mean when we when he was here the first time he was trying to be the offensive defenseman that he was uh kind of lauded out as out of college and uh he's obviously at this age and this time in the career he knows his job and he knows how to handle not being in the lineup and that's one thing that they've gotten right. Also, they haven't always done so well on the seventh defenseman. I mean, Paul Postma was kind of a disaster last year, and we've seen some other guys over the years struggle with that role. So, um, they obviously did some good scouting on that to know that uh, how his game has evolved since the first time he was here. And if uh, if you need him in a pinch, it's great. And but you don't really want to see him for too much longer. That's for sure.
0: I've saved up this part of the discussion for a while because whenever you discuss goaltending with the Boston Bruins, it goes off in 18 different directions. Uh, I said on the pregame show the other night, I was actually surprised that Bruce Cassidy started Tuka Rask in that game mm-hmm. because what it almost ensured is that you're going to split the four games being played this week. It's almost got to be 2-2 two and two at this point. Uh, I personally would have started Yaroslav Halak, who I think has earned it. And I would have played Halak three of the four games. I don't think they're going to play Tuka three of the four games. I don't think he he has earned that yet. But he also hasn't been the problem everybody thinks yet. Right.
1: Exactly. I mean, this is obviously always an overreaction with the goaltender, and especially with that goal the other night. You know, people are going to. God, their that mind. was awful.
0: Right. And I he- mean, come on. Just <laughs> you could feel the air suck out of the building.
1: Right. Exactly. But I mean, he. He didn't let any more after that. So it's like, I don't know what people expect of this guy. I mean, um, the fact is, yeah, I mean, you could have kept going with Halak and got him to three out of four. But, you know, it, it was the same thing last year with Hudobin when he had that hot streak at some no, point. No, I, I disagree with you. It's not yeah. the same.
0: This guy is a legitimate threat to Tuka Rask to yeah. be the starting goaltender. Okay. Anton Hudobin was not.
1: Right. Well, I, I, think, I think it's just the same in, in, in Bruce's mind, that at some point he doesn't want Tuka to get... Um, A, rusty physically, and B, you know, start to maybe mentally check out. I mean, uh, these are these are, these are are some challenges when you're not playing. I mean, especially this team hardly ever practices. So you're talking morning skates and just one-on-one work with, with goalie Bob and whoever gets out to the shoot at him. It's hard to stay sharp uh, once the season gets rolling. And uh, he knows that uh, for the long run, you know, at the very least, you know, if you want to really look at it really cynically, You have to keep Tuka sharp if you're thinking you might want to trade him at some point. You have to. You can't let him. Yeah, but could you? With the contract, I mean, realistically, could you? I think you could. I think anyone, you know, they find ways. You can retain money these days. You can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna do it, but if if there's like even an inkling of it, you don't want the guy, you know, rotting away on the bench. Even if it's not now, if it's in the summer, you have to try to keep the guy at his best. And if you're not losing games and they've won. They've actually won two out of the last three games he started. So people keep talking like he didn't win for like a year or something. But they've won games with him out there. And if you're not, if it's not hurting you in the standings, keep both guys sharp at this point, and you know, delay the decision to go with one more often than as long as you can, right?
0: But in a lot of ways, isn't this organization being held hostage a bit by the contracts of Tukarask and David Krejci?
1: Yeah, I don't know about, say, hold held hostage, because David Krejci's still a pretty good player. <laughs> just... He's a pretty
0: good player. I'm not sure that he's a, as good a player as his contract is. Yeah,
1: well, obviously, he's always been. I mean, clearly, he makes more money than Patrice Bergeron. That's all you have to say, right? This is not uh, it's not merit-based. It's reward for what he did. And it, When he signed that contract, he was the number one center. He was the one that carried them through the playoffs, right? So um, I don't try to base it too much on his money. I would just say that you know, if this organization had bet properly on what uh, what they had as far as wings and, and support for him offensively, and if or if they had gone out and, and, and done something in free agency, you might be seeing the production of David Krejci that might at least you know kind of make it a little less of a burden to have that that money on the books. I mean, you know, I'm still not in this camp where to say the Rick Nash thing was a failure. Rick Nash got hurt, and that was what screwed it up. And I think we saw like at least two or three games there where we're starting to show signs that Craigie Nash was going to be a force if they could have kept Rick Nash healthy. And I think they didn't replace that player, and these kids just don't seem to be up to it right now.
0: Look, Yaroslav Halak is two years older than Tukarask, but he has been a legitimate starting goaltender in the NHL. He was, you know, played 50-some-odd games for the Montreal Canadiens. If, if you had to use Yaroslav Halak as a starter, an extended period-of-time starter— I'm okay with that. Right. He's not the goaltender of the future or anything, right. and I'm not sure the goaltender of the future is in this organization right <laughs> now anyway.
1: Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my question the whole summer, I kept saying, I had this written down, it was just saying, why is Halak here? Like, why would he come here? And obviously they made him some promises about, you know, if you do play, I'll play Tuka, you will play, and that's been great, and I think that's going to happen at some point this season. But, uh, you know, like you said, yeah, I mean, Tuca's still two years younger than him, and you might need Tuca again. I mean, you know, it wasn't too long ago that when when, uh, he was a starter and and Tim Thomas took the job from him, and you stuck with with Tuca beyond beyond that because you knew that uh, the age thing was going to catch up and whatever. Obviously, it wasn't age with Timmy. We know what happened there, but um, you have to plan out with when you don't have someone as an heir apparent. You just got to keep the depth, and that's why they're paying what they're paying for two goaltenders. I think it's second or third most in the league as far as expenditures on one position and that's what happens when you don't uh, draft or trade for your next you know your goalie of the future. Like you said, I don't I don't think he is really in this organization.
0: Uh, look, I, I, I've already said I did not think that Anton Hudobin was a legitimate threat to Tuka Rask to take away the starting job. I think the relationship was great for that very reason. If Yaroslav Halak becomes a threat to take over the starting job here, what will that relationship become between Tuka and Halak?
1: I think it'll be fine. I mean, I think it'll be more you have to worry about Tuca and the organization more than anything. Um, I think they're both really laid-back guys, which is kind of weird to have two goalies. Um, I haven't seen any reason to think that uh, that they wouldn't get along. And, you know, Tuca's been here before. It's been a while, but he's been here before, and it's just a matter of him. I think the the, the relationship between him and Alok will be fine. It's just a matter of him with the organization and him with his own Mind and just staying sharp, because like I said, it is so hard to uh, to stay sharp these days when teams don't practice as often as they used to, and not as long as they used to. And so those, you know, when you when you get those rare games, there's going to be a lot of pressure to uh, to perform, and then it's also going to just be tough to kind of stay stay focused and stay in in the rhythm.
0: Here's the problem I have with the way the Bruins are playing right now. If I set aside Halak, I have a hard time saying, boy, I've been really pleasantly surprised by
1: X. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, you know, it's all relative. Like I mentioned, Nordstrom, I think he's been a lot better all-around player and and more than just a grinder that I thought he was when he came here. But yeah, I mean, that's never that's never exciting when a when a fourth liner looks like a good third liner or something. So or a second two. liner, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, I mean, just the fact that uh, that top line keeps clicking that is that is still pretty impressive. That they just don't seem to ever miss a beat. I mean, it's the only line I've ever covered here, that uh, when they get on the ice, you always anticipate there's going to be a goal.
0: <laughs> I mean, as we sit here recording this right now, Posternak is leading the National Hockey League you know? with 12 goals. Uh, I mean, this guy is a legitimate, honest-to-God 50-goal threat in this league.
1: He is. And, uh, you know, Patrice, as long as those guys keep scoring on his wings, Patrice is a threat to actually win the, the scoring title. Uh, he just keeps getting better and better himself. And, uh it's just kind of crazy. That 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 one really baffles me. The Bergeron thing. I mean, it wasn't that long ago he was a checking center, and he gets into his early 30s and becomes a a superstar scorer. So, but Sometimes you the uh, analytics don't tell you much. You see
0: it. I mean, you're at practice and see it. I, I'm not sure anybody works on his shot harder than Bergeron right. does.
1: That's true. I mean, that's the amazing thing is that uh, he's never. I guess you know these superstar players. They always do it, right? They go, they go off, and they come back with something new every year, or they keep working on things that are their strengths. They don't just work on their weaknesses. And he's the perfect example. And you just wish that a lot of these kids would uh, would take that lead. I mean, they always talk. There's a lot of lip service paid to. Oh, you know, I got to work on this in the summer. I got to work on that in the summer. And they come back and they look like the same guys. But he always works on his everything. He works on everything, and he always gives 100% in the games and in the practices, and puts in the work and You never have to worry about the intensity issue, right? It's amazing that some of these guys coast and some guys play the way he plays.
0: Let's touch on a couple of things around the league before we wrap things up here. Uh, First, the bleep show that continues on in Ottawa (laughs) gets added to by an idiotic Uber driver. I had a bigger problem with the Uber driver than I had with the players. Absolutely. Who amongst us hasn't talked crap about their boss when you were amongst your fellow co-workers now, unfortunately Matt Duchesne and those guys look like morons for mm-hmm. having done it. And Ottawa in its inimitable fashion screws that up by making them unavailable to oh, speak God. and oh no no. No, Mark Porvietsky, Mark's uh, Matt Borvietsky and Stone are gonna mm-hmm. talk. Nobody else. I mean, they screw up everything they touch. This one though, I'm gonna take some of the blame off them.
1: Yeah. Off the players, you mean? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have no blame for the players. You know what? I was going to write this. I didn't get a chance to write about it. To me, it just shows that they actually care, and this is a team that's supposed to be tanking, and they've been playing pretty well, and it just shows that they actually care, and I think the management should take a cue from them because the players actually care, so maybe management should try to care. I mean, here you had the Carlton trade right before the season. It kind of deflates the team. Everyone's counting them out, and they've been playing hard, and I think last night it actually kind of of solidified them as a team again because they went out and and slaughtered New Jersey. Uh, After all this controversy, they weren't distracted, so... I don't blame them it's all about the uber driver and all these people recording and filming everything that everyone does and it's kind of it's in a in a world in a worldwide view it's kind of scary that this stuff is going on but uh yeah definitely definitely not the best way of handling it PR wise like you said have the guys face the music and and,
0: and get then it over on. with but, yeah get it over with
1: yeah they don't seem to know that too well uh, out there i mean i know that uh After they had their issue with the assistant GM last year, and they had other issues leading up to the draft, that the general manager wasn't available. The whole cyber bullying
0: thing that that went on up there. Exactly.
1: They didn't acknowledge. They don't acknowledge anything. So, maybe they should uh, get take some PR lessons, take some media relations lessons, because they have they've struggled with that for sure.
0: Over a six year span, uh, the LA Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks combined for five Stanley Cup championships. Over the course of the last seven days, both have fired their head coaches, John Stevens in L.A. and obviously Joel Quenville in, in Chicago, who will be unemployed as long as he wants to be unemployed, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, but I just wonder, everybody knew what was going on from a salary cap perspective with both these organizations. How can anybody be shocked that they've had to blow it up and start over?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a typical, both cases, a typical case of the general manager figuring he can't fire the player is and he can't, Meyer himself who's so going to take out the coach. I mean, you know, the L.A. thing, We everyone knew they were an aging team. They were trying to catch some some lighting in a bottle by adding Kovalchuk to that group, and it didn't work. And, you know, the goaltender got hurt, too, so you don't know what's going on there. And then the Chicago thing just really baffles me because they were playing above expectations, and the veteran players there are still, you know, the core is still there, and they've been playing well, and some of these kids that are plugging in are playing pretty good, and I just don't know how you sell that. If you're not going to Go into a full rebuild and start putting Taves and Kane and Seabrook on the on the on the uh, trade block. And how do you sell a new coach to those guys after all these years and after you've been playing pretty well? I mean, it doesn't uh, seems smells kind of dysfunctional considering the reputation they have for being a, a top-notch organization. But that doesn't. Uh, seem to sit right I think it might be the only coach in the world or at least in the National Hockey League that the fans love him too you know it's not one of these things where they're always complaining about the coach I mean even the best coaches get it but he doesn't seem to have much criticism either
0: if he wants to coach again this year and I wouldn't blame him he gets paid through next year too at like 6 million a year but if he wants to coach again this year I got a feeling he'll be the Mike Yo replacement in St. Yeah, Louis.
1: That's like so obvious; it almost <laughs> has to happen, right? Everyone thought that as soon as he got fired. I mean, that's the perfect situation. That team's underachieving, and uh, he's been there before. He knows how to he knows how to handle that organization, and uh, that team's clearly underachieving, and it's the same division. But the only thing I think I think the only issue they're running into right now is they'll have to figure out a way to get Chicago to let him take him because I think it's still on the contract, and I don't think they're allowed to uh, just get him without permission.
0: Here in Boston, I think we lead the National Hockey League in bitching about officiating, oh, uh, from from the days of Harry Sinden pounding on the door of the supervisor of officials' office upstairs to to now. But boy, it seems like the Bruins have had a string of horrific calls <laughs> against them here over the last week or so.
1: Yeah, I think um, I would I would agree with that, and I would say that. A little bit. I've had an opportunity to watch some of the other games. There's some pretty bad calls in those games too. So I wouldn't necessarily single out the Bruins, but the ones that the Bruins have had, obviously have been glaring. I mean, uh, start with the Marchand thing and go on to some of these tripping calls and cross checks that where they don't charge taps a guy and he's a cross check. I mean, yeah, there's definitely been some bad ones, and you don't know exactly what's going on in the officials' heads that. They seem to be overreacting to things. You don't know what the edict is from the league that maybe they're trying to crack down on something, but we haven't really seen what the something is because they're just calling anything.
0: Dan O'Halloran is a terrific official, has worked a lot of Stanley Cup final series. He disallows a goal the other night, uh, and and even he's... You could read his lips clearly when he's talking to Anton Hudobin and says, my bad. Yeah. Okay, it's your bad, (laughs) but how the hell do you blow the whistle there? Right.
1: It's unbelievable. I mean... uh... There's just a lot of mistakes going on. You wonder, you know, the, the game keeps keep getting faster and faster, and you just wonder if these guys can keep up with it. <laughs> because it seems like every year it gets worse. Yeah, let's do something
0: dumb like add a fifth official on the ice <laughs> or
1: something, right? Let, Maybe just expand replay or something. I don't know. They got to do something about or it. Or let, that
0: or let the two linesmen call penalties. Yeah. Although Then we'll get even dumber calls. Probably. It's <laughs> probably not a good plan. <laughs> right. uh, on Friday, the uh, the Bruins will unveil their their Winter Classic sweaters. They've already been leaked. Uh, I've already seen them online. You've probably already seen them online. Uh, I, I like the idea of going old school on the Winter Classic uniforms. Uh, I like the Winter Classic. The NHL, in its unending wisdom, always screws these things up by playing too many things. Oh, the Winter Classic's a great idea. Let's play like six of them. Uh, I, I love the fact that it's it's Bruins and Blackhawks at Notre Dame. Everything's great, but they'll find a way to screw this up. <laughs>
1: I suppose. I actually haven't seen the, the sweaters yet. I want to be surprised on Friday.
0: Yeah, I've seen it, some, and I forget the name of the website that leaked them out actually yeah. a couple of months ago. I, look, it's nice. It's cool looking. It's great. Yeah. At least it's not brown like the other one was.
1: Oh, you didn't like the brown? The brown I was classic. hated
0: the brown. <laughs> Looked like a big pile of poop out there. No, the brown was a bad idea.
1: I didn't have a problem with the brown, but yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't know if that much. They're gonna, I, know, I do know that they are talking about... More outdoor games next year because they didn't have one in Canada that's set for this year. And so they'll keep doing it as long as people keep paying for it. And, you know, I guess you can't argue with everybody making money. So
0: They're real big on outdoor games and games in foreign countries. Yeah,
1: there's going to be a lot of those next year, too. And I don't know, I don't know how that pays off because these teams are losing the gate and stuff. But uh, it is, you know, there is some market there to do those things. I I'm not sure how they're going to handle the China part, but they really have to... Uh, Start tapping into that some more, and
0: oh, they want that money bad.
1: Yeah, they've got to do it, and you know what? It's going to be a source of, of players at some point. You've got to, you've got to do that in that in that uh, in that country, and it also has to deal with the Olympics. They have to kind of. Deal with that fact that they're going to have to shut down and play in those Olympics if, they, if they're if they smart for the long term. Well, but.
0: especially where the next Winter Olympics is. We're yeah. talking about tapping into the Chinese market. Right. Wouldn't you have to play there?
1: Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense, but obviously it's going to be a collective bargaining issue, and we'll see if there's even a, a league by 2022. So.
0: Well, there will be a league. The question <laughs> is whether Gary, whether Gary Bettman will shut it down yet yeah. again. Exactly. That seems to be his go-to move. Shut it down. That gets into the Hall of Fame. Shut the league down again.
1: Yeah, well, when he gives his Hall of Fame acceptance speech next week, and maybe they'll shut his speech down.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that would be such a good move if they did that. <laughs> uh, Matt Kelman, who covers the Bruins for com, also the co-author of, uh, of my new book, If These Walls Could Talk, Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, we set about trying to tell people Bruins fans know a lot about the team. Most of the things about the team, we tried to find stuff they didn't know, and I think we found some things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's no uh, way. There's no way anyone knows a lot of these stories because they were in your head. <laughs> they <laughs> well, needed a book to come out, so
0: I had to talk to some people to get them out of my head too. <laughs> Sean Thornton might be the, the star of my book.
1: Right. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think uh, between Sean and, and Ray Bork and and Bobby Orr, I think uh, we've uh, tapped on some things that were never published or even spoken of before and uh, I think people are pretty excited to read them.
0: Zero Pucks Given is brought to you by Red River Technology and Star Markets. Matt Kalman's been my guest on this uh, first edition for this season. I will see you on the book signing circuit and at the rink, but I appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Oh, it was great. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.